0: Would you please join me in the reading of God's word? This morning our passage comes from Luke chapter 20 and we'll be reading verses 27 through 40. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, for all who live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question.
1: Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that the grave does not have the final verdict. (laughs) Lord, uh, folks are mourning this morning. We think of Sherry, and in talking with Sherry, it's just a reminder that uh, we have hope. We don't mourn like those who have no hope because we know what lies beyond the grave, and we just thank you. And Father, this morning as we come to a text about that very subject, guide us. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, turn to Luke twenty. We're journeying through the Gospel of Luke. And we're in that final week where Jesus is volleying back and forth with the religious rulers, the leaders. As you turn to Luke twenty, if you're not there already, it was interesting in this past November the Pew Search Center released some a survey that they had done about the afterlife. Roughly a quarter, 26% of American adults do not believe in heaven or hell. In fact, of that group, 17 said there is no afterlife at all. Hmm. 33% believed in reincarnation. One respondent describes their view as a resting place for our spirits and energy i don't think it's like the traditional view of heaven but i'm also not sure that death is the end end of quote another says i believe that life continues and after my current life is done i will go on into some other form it won't be me as in my traits and personalities but something of me that i will carry on I had a teacher in high school that believed she reincarnated from Moses. We always said, let your children go, but she didn't like that. <laughs> but I am serious. And there are a variety of views about the afterlife. And in Luke chapter 20, this question arises from a group called the Sadducees. And notice in verse 27, says, now some Sadducees, and Luke gives us a parenthetical statement. He's a Gentile writing to Gentiles, and many do not know who are the Sadducees. And he says, well, they're the group that says there is no resurrection. Now remember, their question is going to be about the resurrection, so you have an idea of where they're going with this, right? And they came to Jesus, and the text says they, they asked him a question. Now, The question for us, first of all, is who are the Sadducees? Who is this group from the first century? They will disappear in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple. Uh, The Sadducees' name comes from most likely the high priest Zorak, who uh, served under King David and King Solomon. The Sadducees were a priestly aristocrat line, very affluent In fact, let me just show you a couple slides. I think that would be helpful because when you talk about what do the Jews believe in the first century, the question we need to ask is which group of Jews are you talking about in the first century? It's like saying these are what the Baptists believe in 2022. Well, is that the Southern Baptists, North American, independent, not independent, regular, irregular? I mean, which group of Baptists are you talking about, right? And so this might help uh we have a political circle that's in the red and then you have the religious circle and there are four major sects or groups of jews within the first century on the far stre- extreme to your left are the essenes they actually should have been on the right i thought about this later my diagram isn't the best but the essenes were a monastic de- group they pulled away from mainstream judaism in the first century to them the temple was corrupt Jewish temple in the first century. And in fact, you, you know the Dead Sea Scrolls from the Qumran com- community. That was a, an Essene community. Some believe that Bethany, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, was an Essene community as well. But going back to this chart, if we could go back to that, uh, the one that I just showed. Thank you. We'll keep that on until I tell you. Thanks. <laughs> the Pharisees, uh, don't do that to me. No. The Pharisees, I know it's Valentine's Day, but really... Uh, and I'm rooting for the Bengals but okay the Pharisees uh, the Pharisees are a group that we're very familiar with their rhetoric was very much like Jesus and the Pharisees they were the largest of the the four groups there were about 6,000 Pharisees in the first century and they're predominantly religious but notice I have a little overlap because yes there is some political maneuvering with them the Sadducees they're far more political than they are religious we'll talk about them in a minute. But that group was much, much smaller. Their power base came from their allegiance with Rome. And their money, very affluent. And the last group were the Zealots. And the Zealots had no religious connections. They were They just hated Rome. And it was much more a political group. Interesting, by the way, Jesus had a zealot among his 12. Think about that. (laughs) And then he had Judas, and he had a tax collector who had aligned himself, Matthew, with Rome. What a hodgepodge of of 12, right? So let's go then, and let's look at this chart, because as we look at these four groups, hang on here, um, this yellow box that I put is called the Sanhedrin. In the first century, there was a group of 71 Jewish judges, They were somewhat like our Congress because it was made up of two parties, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And in the first century, the Sadducees controlled the Sanhedrin. It was head, the the head leader of the Sanhedrin is the high priest. In the Old Testament, you became a high priest how? It was through the bloodline, right? You uh, inherited it. In the first century, the high priesthood was purchased oops that already should send up flags that's why the Essenes were like I don't want anything to do with the temple it's corrupt the Sadducees controlled it because they had the money so Caiaphas, Annas you know those names they all belong to the Sadducean sect and they were the most powerful And, and so that 71 you see there now let's look at this let's compare these two groups the Pharisees and the Sadducees they've come together to attack jesus during this final week and think about that that is equivalent i I was trying to think how would you describe this it probably like uh, i don't know uh the black panthers and some neo-nazi group coming together for a cause it doesn't happen but it did in the first century because they have one common enemy and that's jesus but look at the differences the pharisees they're very religious they hold to all of the books of the Old Testament. They even have the oral tradition. The Sadducees, the first five books, that's all they need. No thank you. They weren't... Yes, they controlled the high priesthood, but you have an idea of, of where we've come. And, and, and so they, the Pharisees believed in the supernatural. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. And yet they're coming to Jesus to ask about the resurrection, which tells us what? this is just a phony baloney all you're concerned about is trapping jesus you don't care about the resurrection because you don't believe it in fact you don't believe in angels you don't believe in much of the supernatural and 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 so the power for the pharisees it's the popular vote they're loved by the people i know when we read the the gospels and we see the pharisees we go boo yes but in the first century yay they loved them they were the devout ones. They were the ones that were respected. The Sadducees, that was hiss. Oh, you've aligned with Rome, you wealthy snobs. You who've controlled everything. We're so sick of you. That's the mentality that prevailed in the first century. Let me give you a scene in Acts. If you remember Acts chapter 23, Paul appears before the Sanhedrin. The text says, when Paul noticed that some were Sadducees and other were Pharisees. Remember Paul? He was a Pharisee. He steps up, was. He said, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Paul's so shrewd. Don't you love it? It says, when he said this, a dissension began, I mean, divide and conquer. Between the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the assembly the sadducees the text tells us there's no resurrection they don't believe in angels or spirits and it says a great clamor arose and certain scribes certain those of the the pharisees said we find nothing wrong with paul (laughs) i love it paul plays the crowd the the sanhedrin he divides them on the issue of i'm a pharisee and i hold to the resurrection so, let's go back to Luke chapter 20. Now you know the backdrop. Because this is so key when we understand this. Because the Pharisees coming to ask this question is just absolutely ludicrous. They don't hold to the resurrection. And they know that. But again, also keep in mind, you've got Pharisees in chapter earlier in chapter 20 they've already tried to trip Jesus up over political issues and now the sadducees are coming along as well. Jesus is a major threat to established religion in the first century. I might argue he still is. <laughs> and they quote in verse 28, and you got to love this. They quote from Moses. So at least they quote from the first five books. And they said Moses writes that if a man's brother Dies, leaving a wife but no children, that man must marry the widow and the father children for his brother. Now, what is this text? It's from Deuteronomy 25. The text states, When brothers reside together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother should take her in marriage and perform the duty of the husband's brother. And the firstborn whom she bears shall succeed in the name of the deceased brother, so that the name may not be blotted out of Israel. Now, hang in here, because this is this is so important. This levirate marriage—it's something we're not familiar with—but in this culture, if a woman's husband dies and she has no children yet, there is no way to carry on the line, carry on the inheritance or someone to care for her, right? And so, according to the law, she is to marry her husband's brother if he's single, right? You get this idea. It actually happened with my great-grandfather. He died and his brother married my great-grandmother to care for her. Uh, It's similar, but not quite the same. They didn't have any children. But this idea was to, to carry the legacy on, interesting huh <laughs> and so they give this hypothetical situation in verses 29 through 30 uh it was the early stages it's of uh, it's not seven brides for seven brothers it's one bride for seven brothers right is the idea here and and the sequence is so ludicrous and they use seven because it, it just it's a nice Jews love that number it kind of shows completeness but also you know here's this idea that it just goes on forever and here we have too many weddings (laughs) too many men and definitely too much death but what are the Sadducees implying they're implying that Moses did not teach resurrection since he would have surely not taught it And based on such problems that might occur in this scenario. The Sadducees make a couple of assumptions. First of all, they assume that the afterlife is very much like this life, don't they? And secondly, they hold, this is assumption, that marriage relationship in that life will be monogamous as it is in this life. And so the absurdity is set. The cynical nature of the question is very evident. Again, their question was not born out of a desire to know even though they called him teacher. Bless your pointed little head. (laughs) Oh, teacher. Yes, it's called apple polishing, right? We know what it's about. The question was hypothetical and it was designed to humiliate Christ and trap him. Ah! He can't answer this one. In fact, jesus answers this one way he's going to tick off the pharisees and those who love the pharisees if he answers it another way they got him as well so i mean it's as if he's toast so in verses 34 and forward jesus answers them now matthew and mark also give this account and they highlight a little bit more of what transpires and in matthew and mark we're told that jesus begins by rebuking them it's very strong He says, you're wrong the text is clear Here it's, it's, Jesus more like he points out three points concerning their view of the, and, and what is the afterlife entail. The first of these, he states, is that everyone does not qualify for blessing of the life after the resurrection. Notice what he says. The people of this age marry and are given to marriage, we see here. But he says, but those who are regarded as worthy to share that age... And in the resurrection from the dead, neither Mary nor given. You say, Who are the worthy? I believe those are the righteous. Now we know in Luke chapter sixteen, remember the whole scene that we looked at, the, the rich man and Lazarus. There is an afterlife for the unrighteous as well. Don't don't miss that. <laughs> uh, a resurrection is promised for all of humanity. We sometimes forget that the unrighteous will also resurrect and they will stand in judgment at the great white throne and then be cast in the lake of fire for all eternity. The just will be raised to glorification, 1 Peter, and the unjust will be raised, eternal conscious separation from the presence of God, Revelation chapter 20. And so the first thing that Jesus is trying to convey to them that yes, there is a resurrection... Secondly, he's stating to us and it's clear in the text that marrying and getting married is not a part of the future existence. There's no need for procreation in heaven and one could argue there's no need for companionship. Now hear me out here. In heaven, remember we're told we'll have many brothers and sisters mothers, children, and a heavenly father. One theologian states here in this The function of marriage, he says, it represents the deepest form of personal relationship on this globe, the highest form of social experience. Does not in resurrection require the exclusivity that is proper for the present age. In other words, there is no marriage in heaven. We're one big communal family with a heavenly father. So David's bridal shop—it's out of business. All right, it's done. and the third thing he points out here in the text is that the religious rulers refused, well, listen to this, they refused to recognize God's creative power and transformation through the resurrection. I want to say that again. The religious rulers, these Sadducees, or Sadducee, <laughs> you get the idea, right? They have refused to recognize God's creative power to transform reality through the resurrection. What does Jesus state? Look at the text. He says, in fact, he says not only will they not die, because they're, they're equal to angels. They'll be like angels. What, what's he saying? No, you're not getting a set of wings. Sorry, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that in your resurrected body, it's, it's a heavenly glory and dignity that's given to your form that carries with it a freedom from demise through bodily decline, disease, or accident. Remember, the Sadducees also didn't believe in angels. <laughs> and I love it. He says, "Now you ain't going to be resurrected. You're going to be like angels. Oh, that's right. You don't believe in those either, do you? I love it. It's just, this, their inability to understand the resurrection is related in their unwillingness to accept such beliefs as the existence of angels. You will be raised again in the same material in which you die the body now is incorruptible it's strong it's, it's dignified and look at jesus resurrected body all the senses were involved yet it is unique the personal identity of the vi- individual it's not lost it's kind of like uh i was trying to give an analogy it's like a, a baby and then when they become 40 or 50 you still see traits Even our kids at 13 and 12, they don't want to hear this, but sometimes I see them and go, oh, there's that little baby we took home from the hospital, right? Oh, you know, just the way they look or the way they cry. No, I don't know. You you still see features of it. This is key because in a Judeo-Christian understanding of humanity, of man, we affirm that man was created by God as a deliberate and good act. And that entails both the physical and spiritual aspects. That as an eternal destiny, it involves both. You don't can the body. The body is not illusionary, translatory, or even evil. It's not the will of life or the yang and the yang. God is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is not the essence of all things. The goal for humanity is the redemption, glorification, perfection of his nature, both physical and immaterial, and that's accomplished through the power of the death and resurrection of Christ. Wayne House, theologian, states the goal of redemption is not liberation from the body. That's other teachings, but the liberation of the body. And Jesus states, no, 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 no. You'll be like angels. In fact, he says you will be called sons of God. Again, indicating our divine father His parentage. But Jesus isn't done. And this is where I love it. Watch what he does. He says, but even Moses. (laughs) Don't you love it? Has revealed that the dead are raised in the passage about the bush. There's not chapter and verse in the first century. So if you want to refer to a text of scripture, you would refer to an event. He says, remember the burning bush? Exodus chapter 3? And he's saying, listen to this. Now, Jesus, there are a lot of Old Testament texts that mention the resurrection. I was writing a few down. Job 14, Psalm 16, Isaiah 26, Daniel 12. But they're not in the first five books. So what does Jesus do? Remember the Sadducees, they only helped at the first five books. What does Jesus do? He goes to the first five books. He says, what did Moses say? What did he say? In the burning bush, what did God say to Moses? Look at the text. He says, because he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Well, what is Jesus saying? Number one, God is an eternal God. He has no beginning. He has no end. Right? It isn't, I was the God of Abraham. No, I am the God of Abraham, which indicates God is eternal. Secondly, it it indicates that God is responsible for life. All life takes place in his power, whether current life, I might add, or the life to come. We as believers, don't you love this? We have a different way of looking at life. We have a different way of looking at death. And we have a different way of looking at life after death. The Sadducees missed it. And Jesus comes along, he says, no, 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 no. And the concepts of reincarnation and resurrection, karma, atonement. I mean, we, we see this vast difference in worldviews in our culture, in our globe. And a proper understanding of anthropology, of man, a proper understanding of God as creator, will demonstrate clearly the inadequacies of reincarnation and will affirm the biblical teachings concerning the resurrection. In quoting, exodus 3 not only does jesus state that god is eternal that he's living he's not dead that he's responsible for life but further god would not be the god of the patriarchs if he was done with them and abandoned them to the grave he's made covenants he made a promise to abraham what do you do with that if he's dead 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 right not almost dead that's to blaze right to quote a line god is the savior he's the protector and the deliverer and that leads us to another point that jesus is making to the sadducees god is a covenant you know god who keeps his promises hebrews 11 that great hall of faith we will go through this laundry list of all these wonderful old testament characters it says at the end of chapter 11 yet all these through they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. They wait. And they can wait with surety. Because God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You Sadducees think there is no life after death? What do you do with this text? In fact, then Jesus says, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. The grave is not the end. Amen? We're not there for warm food. (laughs) There's something far greater than this. And for the believer who dies knowing Christ as their Savior, they're immediately ushered in the presence of the Lord. Your body awaits the, tribu- the um, rapture. It waits th- later on. But your, your soul is with the presence of the Lord. For those who don't know the Lord, we looked at that in Luke chapter 16. You're, you're in punishment, <laughs> separated from God, and you will await the second resurrection, which then you will appear before judgment. Warren Wiersbe states it well Jesus affirmed what the Sadducees denied the existence of angels the reality of life after death and the hope of a future resurrection and he did it with only one passage (laughs) I love it boom they're dismantled right there on the spot and in verse 39 I mean you see the response well some of the experts of the law answered teacher you have spoken so well that's the Pharisees (laughs) ha. Right? Yay! Get them! We love it. We didn't like them, anyways. And I love you spoken well. means you spoke correctly. Matthew and Mark tells us the crowds were astonished. Luke doesn't highlight that because it's focusing on the Sadducees. And it says in verse 40 they didn't dare ask another question. When they're embarrassed i mean this is a group who's used to being in power no one questioning them and jesus just took the rug and pulled it right out from underneath them the the high and mighty the self-proclaimed self-righteous ones are not only stumped by jesus their entire belief system is dismantled right before their eyes We can speculate exactly what does it mean that we don't marry and how does heaven look. Jesus doesn't go into great detail there, but there are a few things we can walk away with from this text that are very, very important. And this is the bottom of your notes there. Letter A, the instability of this world is a reminder that this universe is decaying. Life, stability, vitality, rest, in the unchanging one, our eternal God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, just read the news <laughs> our world longs for a resurrection what do I mean well our creation is restless our world groans for peace humanity longs for wholeness hope, freedom from heartaches, disappointment illness and pain and one of the greatest enemies of humanity the removal of it is death itself all of the All of that is found in, the solution is found in Christ. (laughs) I love the lyrics to the hymn, What a Day That Will Be. Just listen to this. This What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day it will be. There'll be no sorrows there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness and no more pain, no more COVID, no more parting over there. I added that. But forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day it will be. 2 Thessalonians 2, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and a good hope Comfort your hearts, strengthen them in every good work. Indeed. The instability of this world screams, We need a solution. And that solution is found in the resurrected one, Christ. Who would have thought it? As Jesus was talking to these Sadducees, you know he was thinking. I'd like to tell you what's going to happen on Sunday, just a few days from now (laughs) the resurrection letter B reiterates the promise to believers that we will never be alone I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob he did not abandon them and he will not abandon those who claim him as their savior intimacy with the Lord is for the present and I would argue for all eternity Oh, it it will be wonderful, won't it? No more goodbyes. (laughs) No more pain. No more tears. No more exhaustion. No more disappointments. No more heartaches. No more quizzes. You students out there, right? But nothing will compare to the day we get a Savior and stare at his face. That's the day. All of that, yeah, it's wonderful. But nothing compares to seeing our lord charles spurgeon the great british pastor said i bear my testimony there is no joy to be found in all this world like that of the sweet communion with christ i would barter all there is in heaven just for that indeed that is heaven he states speaking with sherry keller this week as you know sherry lost her husband bob she said can you i can't imagine how wonderful it is she said bob is looking at my savior his savior he's with him she said oh i i I miss him but all the joy that he's there and he's no longer on a ventilator Everything will pale in comparison. It'll probably take us all eternity just to notice we have a street of gold <laughs> when we stand and look at our Savior and bow our knee before Him. In the upper room, Jesus was sharing, and it's recorded in John's Gospel, He's about to die. He knows exactly what's going to transpire, and He knows they're going to scurry like light on with the cockroaches. But he makes a promise to them. In John 14, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Notice it's all under one roof. Yay. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I, I will take you myself So that where I am, there you may be also. The Lord stated, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they are in my presence. And those who place their faith in him and should pass before he returns are in his presence. And those like Bob Keller are basking at the presence of our Lord, dwelling in his house. And letter C. Since the resurrection is rooted in the person and work of Christ, we have a promise of hope that is guaranteed. I cannot guarantee that the Bengals will win today. It will be a very sad day in our house if they don't. But alas, my son even had to wear orange today to church. Uh, <clears throat> I try to be neutral. However, the resurrection assumes several things, doesn't it? It guarantees the following. First of all, the gospel message is true. Paul even states in First Corinthians 15, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, this whole thing is a farce. We, we just need to go home. In fact, the entire New Testament is a delusion. Because what is the heart of the gospel? The resurrection of Christ. And so the gospel message is true. Secondly, we know that he is victorious over death. Death has been given its fatal blow by Christ because he was resurrected. Jesus, you know, Jesus prophesied in John 2 that he would raise from the dead so if he didn't raise from the dead he's a liar he did raise from the dead and it demonstrates his authority over death oh I I can't prove that Christ rose from the dead but archaeologically, historically and and, and even other uh, other literature from the first century I can show you the historicity of the resurrection how else do you explain it Uh, there's a whole thing we could go on and talk about the historicity of the account but I also know I know the power of the resurrection in the life of believers. (laughs) I can testify to that. Christ, another guarantee of Christ's resurrection, is he's the first fruits of the perfected humanity. Philippians chapter 3, he will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed, listen to this, to the body of his glory by the power that has enabled him to make all things subject to himself we'll have an incorruptible body again no pain no weakness it's immortal it's everlasting it's powerful and it's glorious (laughs) and finally you look at the resurrection of Christ what does it guarantee it guarantees that we can trust God with the future Christ's resurrection I would argue gives meaning a goal and purpose to history Think about that for a minute. I I love Ladd in his book, I Believe in the Resurrection of Jesus. He makes this great statement. He says, if Jesus is not raised, redemptive history ends in the cul-de-sac of a Palestinian grave. It's done. But it's not, is it? These Sadducees... Oh, they had their theology incorrect when it comes to understanding the resurrection, but there was something far deeper that they missed. That is the power of God. A God who keeps his covenants and a God who loves his people. Father, oh, what a glorious day it will be when we see your face. Father, this, this Earth is so filled with sin and struggle. It's a wreck on so many fronts. And it's easy to just feel the, the tension and the anger and the disappointment and discouragement and, and to miss that, no, 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 you're walking with us. And, and this isn't the end of the story. We are victorious. And 1 Corinthians 15 is clear. Where, where oh, death is your sting? <laughs> you, you've been eliminated because of what Christ accomplished, not only on the cross, but in an empty tomb. And Lord, we thank you that we have hope. Not hope that some football team is going to win today or hope that our our beloved will give us a box of chocolates tomorrow. No, our hope is secure. It's rooted in the surety of who you are and what you have accomplished, are accomplishing, and will accomplish. And what a glorious day it will be to be in your presence. Come, Lord Jesus. Until then... May we live lives, uh, Paul talks about, because of the resurrection, it gives us the power to live lives that that are holy, lives that honor you. And Lord, we pray to that end, that we would glorify you. And we thank you. In the name of the resurrected one, Jesus, our Savior, we pray.